Yes, welcome back to How Did I Get Here? This is, of course, the show where we're asking people, well, how did you get here? We recently hit 20 episodes here on the show, and our first ever episode was with a politician, so we're going back to our roots. Joining me today is Fatima Payman. She's an Australian senator for Western Australia, the third youngest senator in Australian history, and is the first hijab-wearing woman to be elected to Australian Parliament. She was elected to Parliament last year, and after a nearly, nearly a year in politics, I should say, she joins us here on the show today. Fatima, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. And just a slight correction, slight I'm the correction. fifth youngest, fifth not the youngest. third. Oh. Uh, I think I need to update that Wikipedia. That, that must, yeah. I must have gotten that, that <laughs> off Wikipedia. Anyway, well, let's jump into it. Um, we always like to start at the beginning here. Uh, you came to Australia at a very young age as a refugee from Afghanistan. Can you tell us the story of how, how you came to arrive in the country? So it wouldn't have been possible if my dad didn't risk his life and jump on a boat in 1999 mm-hmm. um, to find a safe haven, a place that, you know, he could have a future with his family, uh, a, a safe environment, but a land with opportunities. And I think Australia was definitely on top of the list. Um, and I think not having my dad for about four years in my life was quite challenging in terms mm. of... Um, you know, growing up, you're in those tender years of wanting both your parents around. And so there was this long yearning to just reunite with dad. Um, and 2003 is when he sponsored a sofa and um, my mum, sister and brother and I joined him. Mm. Those four years without your father, uh, I believe you're in Pakistan at the time. You know, how did that impact you as a young person? It definitely felt lonely. You yeah. would, well, I would feel quite jealous or envious of my cousins who had both their parents around um it was a lonely feeling of wanting to see dad and all I had was a photo of him that we would sort of refer to or we'd hear his voice occasionally on phone calls um but yeah it definitely was difficult uh and I think the only thing I remember when we landed in Australia is seeing dad for the first time and it just felt like home you know yeah looking at some of your family history, you're not the first politician in your family. Uh, Reading up your grandfather, he served in the Afghan parliament. Can you tell me the impact that maybe that political history of your family has had on you? It's interesting that dad didn't speak much about grandpa being involved in politics and I think it just wasn't, because of the political Mm. situation of the country, wasn't something that, you know, you openly spoke about. But I do recall references being made here and there, you know, in family gatherings. And um, that's how I picked up that grandpa was involved um, in the government just before the Taliban sort of came in and, yeah, yeah start, mm. started destroying the place. Looking back now, do you see it as, as an important part of your personal history, your family history? Oh, 100%. And mm. I think... Um, it must have been in my blood because I <laughs> pursued, po- you know, a biomedical science, wanting to become a doctor, wanting to then move on to pharmacy. And it just didn't work out, right? <laughs> like, brought me right back to um, what my calling was. And I th- I think that was politics. Um, and it, in its truest element and form was just serving the community. Mm. Those early years in Australia after you moved here, uh, you were quite young, but what was that adjustment like? What were those early years like for you and your family? So not being fluent in English was yeah. definitely a challenge. Um, obviously, going to an Islamic school definitely helped uh, in terms of just seeing people who were from similar backgrounds, similar stories, similar um, migration journeys. And so it was... It was 
challenging, but, you know, as an eight-year-old kid, you pick up things really quickly. So um, before I knew it, you know, English was pretty fluent, had made friends. Um, But I think my biggest challenge that even my dad sort of sat me down um, in my early teens was when I decided to wear the headscarf, the hijab. Yeah, right. And uh, he literally sat me down and he was like, are you serious about this? Like, do you know what the implications are? Uh, This is going to be a lifelong commitment. You know, you can't just wear it today and take it off tomorrow sort of thing. And you can take your time. Like, there's no rush. Um, And so I I didn't really realise that wearing the hijab, you know, would come with its own challenges and struggles, um, which I later on faced at university. Mm. How did you feel you kind of combated those struggles? Giving people the benefit of the doubt. Um, You know, when people call you towel head or say things like go back to where you came from or they look at you funny and stare at you as if you're an alien um, or even make comments as ridiculous as do you have a bomb under that thing on your head? And it's like, are you serious, mate? How'd you make (laughs) it to uni? (laughs) This was in my first ever tutorial. And I was like, oh. And so I think it sort of just allowed me to – you know, give them the benefit of the doubt, but also put myself in those positions where I'd be educating them, you know, like sharing, sharing, sharing my story with them and like how I got where I am and like who I am and what I hope to achieve. And, you know, we're equals here. Yeah. Um, and these are my dreams and aspirations, just like you. Hmm. You mentioned earlier there that you did attend the Australian Islamic school here in Perth. Uh, what were you like as a student? As a teacher's pet, everyone <laughs> hated me. <laughs> um, I think during recess and lunchtime, I was mostly hanging out with the teachers. Um, and, you know, uh, I mean, it, you would sort of get leeway in, mm. a, in a sense when you were right, a good yeah. student. Um, but it, it was, I was an obedient child, but also being the eldest in my family, it, it just comes inherently where you're just, you're a yes person or yeah yes girl to everyone around mm. you um but that bit me in the backside real quick when you <laughs> when you you know grow up and you understand that saying yes is not always a good idea mm. we always like to ask this question you know it gives us a good insight into who you are as a person and how you grow up uh and at school did you have a favorite and least favorite subject oh um so favorite subject I would like to think was maths, even though I wasn't yeah. great at it. <laughs> um, so I really enjoyed maths, but my least favorite subject was health. Health, wow. And the reason why health I, I didn't enjoy too much is because there was a lot of self-reflection and I think I wasn't great at self-reflecting. And, you know, that's they'd ask about, you know, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And it's like, why do I have to talk about <laughs> this? Um, but yeah, I'd say, I'd say those were the two. That stand out. I think that's first on the show here. We I don't think we've had health uh, brought up before, so uh, that's an interesting one. Um, during your final year of high school, you served as head girl. Uh, do you look back on that now and see that as an early exposure to leadership? And, you know, if so, what did that teach you? Definitely improved um, my sense of responsibility and mm. delegation and working in a team. Um, also allowed me to uh, develop those communication skills of... Um, liaising with peers but also those in higher senior positions like teachers or the 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 dean of education um and dean of behavior um 
but yeah, I, I would say that it really gives you, it gave me that different perspective of like, you know, you can be amongst your peers, but you have the sense of responsibility to always keep an eye out on mm. things happening and looking after them. It's that sort of nurturing and caring role that I took on board. Yeah. Looking now to the post-high school period, we were talking just before about how you went to uni and you Politics wasn't initially on the cards. Uh, instead, you studied pharmacy, and I think there was dreams of medicine. Where did where did this aspiration actually come from? So my dad, uh, you, he was studying medicine back in Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, and so it was almost like I I couldn't achieve medicine and become a doctor, but you sh- you can, and you should definitely try and aspire to it. And so, being a a yes girl, I was like, sure, dad, <laughs> if that's if that's what you think, I'm 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 gonna achieve or be great at um but despite trying so hard sitting the gaps at the umat currently it's called ucat like all these pre-med exams it was really i, I realized that it just wasn't for me i also pass out when i see blood so right. definitely yeah. not a good train <laughs> for a doctor um and i think when my dad was diagnosed with leukemia in 2017 that's when i um uh, that's when he asked, he was like, look, I know that you've tried for medicine and it's not working. And I know you've done an arts degree in anthropology and sociology, <laughs> but I want you to have a, um, a, a sustainable future where, you know, you're financially independent um, and, and have a secure job. So why don't you consider pharmacy? And I was like, I'm not going to say no to my dad when he's sick. Yeah. You know? And um and so I was like, okay, dad, I'll give it a crack. And I did. And I got in to master's uh, of pharmacy at UWA and it just wasn't for me. Especially, <laughs> I guess, after dad's passing, I was like, well, I was doing this for dad. And it just, I tried hard and I was barely scraping like a, a high credit. I was like, this isn't for me. Yeah. yeah. So then the decision comes to pivot into something a bit more political. Can you tell me how that came about? It was... <sighs> Thanks to my psychologist, actually. I started seeing a psychologist uh, three months after dad's passing um, upon the recommendation of a friend. And I thank that friend, you know, I'm forever indebted to her. Um, But I, the the psychologist allowed me to explore the ideas of like, all right, do do some serious self-reflection. And this is when I was like, man, I should have paid attention to health classes in in, in school. but did some serious self-reflection and uh, within that, I realised all the struggles that dad had gone through and the guilt that I felt for like, or not guilt, but like feeling like I need to honour those sacrifices and how am I going to do that? Um, but I also just jumped into volunteering. So yeah. went through um, char- different charity organisations and and dedicated my time in just helping the community, um, which I really enjoyed. And then when I felt that there were certain injustices, inequalities and um, the struggles that my dad had gone through as a migrant worker, working around the clock, being under underpaid, um, overworked and just not knowing his rights, it p- pivoted me towards like, you know, if you want to see change – You've got to be within it. You've got to be part of it. And I think that's when I started um, thinking about politics and coincidentally met my future boss, uh, Pierre Yang, who's the upper house member for North Metro now. Um, And he really took me under his wing and, uh, you know, 
introduced me to the to Young Labor, uh, which is the youth wing of the Labor Party here in WA, and um, that's when I felt that level of connection and that sense of belonging. Like this is my crowd. Like mm. I, I I jam with these people. Yeah, you're answering all my questions, therefore, because <laughs> the next question, you know, talking about your work with, uh, I know you also worked with the United Workers yeah. Union and Youth Labour, as you just mentioned, you know, it, it, there's that exposure to political organisations. Does that really shape you and, and help you really decide that this is what you wanted to do? A hundred percent. I think feeling that uh, that sense of camaraderie, like, you know, young people who are passionate about making change, advocating for social justice um, and issues that are, you know, that affects us as young people, but also that will have ripple effects within society. And, um, you know, whether it's climate change, um, accessible housing, um, just education, per se, in terms of both higher education and um, having that access within the regions. Um, It was seeing those policies come up and people feeling so passionate about it. I was like, this is is my calling. Mm. I also want to highlight there, you know, you mentioned the volunteering, which is such an important thing, but obviously as uni students and as young people working, it can be so hard to find the time and, and the motivation to do something like that. But looking back now, how important do you see volunteering as part of, you know, what shaped you and what raised you? Having ethnic parents, they were like, you're not getting any money for be- for working <laughs> all these hours. And I was like, yeah, but I'm getting that sense of fulfilment. Mm. I'm developing my social skills. I'm meeting incredible people. And the networks that you get exposed to, they're phenomenal. And so I was like you know, this is me making a difference in my small way. And there doesn't have to be a monetary exchange all the time. Um, Because without volunteers, like, big organisations won't thrive and incredible movements won't happen. Um, And that's because when we volunteer, it comes from the heart. We really want to make a difference. Uh, And I think it was a huge part of my experience and what shaped me and who I am today. Mm. Looking now towards the lead up to last year, May last year, you know, you're moving towards the 2022 election, but how did you decide to run? So, as the third spot uh, yeah. on the Senate ticket, we hadn't won it. Labor hadn't won it since 1984. So when I was asked to, you know, uh, asked if I would consider putting my name down, I was like, oh. Well, it'll probably be a good experience, you know, like losing my dad when he was only 47 years old. I was like, I don't even know if I'm going to live to see 20, 47. So why don't I just give it a crack? Take every opportunity as it comes. And if it's not for me, just opt out. Except with this, I was like, if I win, there is no opting out for six <laughs> years. But I was like, it, winning is not on the card. So this is going to be an excellent experience. Um, I love campaigning, love door knocking and talking to people. And so for me, it was just another opportunity to ensure that we get a progressive um, government that will lead the way for us. So for me, that was the goal. And I was like, well, you know, I'm just going to put my name down and see where this goes, but also um, get young people more involved. Because, you know, as a young person, being the voice for young people, I was like, this is this is our opportunity to really push for a government that will create change in the spaces that we're passionate about. Hmm. It's, it's hard to contextualise the job of a politician for some people, you know, but it is a job. Uh, and if you look at the campaign as the longest job interview process ever, <laughs> uh, can, you, can you tell me what 
the actual campaign process was like? How did, did you feel much pressure throughout? No, yeah, and I right. think that was the joy of being number three on the ticket, right? <laughs> no expectations. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, like, you know, Fatima's there. But I was uh, very heavily involved in our House of Representative members, so the federal seats, mm. um, and – I was ensuring that, you know, we get them elected. They're such fantastic candidates, all of them. Um, And so my time was literally divided trying to door knock and campaign with them. So it was like a morning, afternoon and like late evening door knocks. And it was fun as like (laughs) I enjoyed it. Um, But not having the pressure allowed me to be more flexible with my time. Um, There was no particular pressure of like, you know, meeting any particular targets or, you know, um, being seen in a particular way. Um, but it was the challenging part of it was the uncertainty, obviously not knowing where all this is going. Um, but also I had to renounce my citizenship, Mm -hmm. which obviously required a lot of back and forth with the Afghan embassy, which obviously was difficult because, uh, Afghanistan's government had fallen, so it was just yeah, yeah. a massive kerfuffle. And uh, uh, but had heaps of support from my state MPs and mentors, mm. and um, they were just incredible. They, were, you know, it was it was just giving the multicultural community that sense of representation, even though I was just a candidate. Um, they felt like they were finally being seen and heard, and um, they had a representative in there running as a candidate. So Mm. um, I'd say it inspired quite a few people to take politics quite seriously. Yeah. Bit of a two-part question here, but, you know, as you're campaigning, first of all, what are the issues that are most important to you and your team and your campaign? And secondly, did those align with what you saw and what you heard door knocking and talking to members of the public? Yeah, no, 100%. I think one of the biggest um, areas that, that we focused on was the National Anti-Corruption Commission mm-hmm. um, and retu- returning that faith and integrity back into politics and ensuring that, you know, politicians are held to account. Um, and ex- that's exactly what we heard on the doors. Climate change was another one. Exactly what we heard on the doors. Everyone was was worried uh, about us not playing our part, um, especially on the global stage. Like, I think ScoMo didn't do us proud um, right. on multiple occasions, but um, it really highlighted that you just needed to listen to constituents, people on the ground, people who are suffering. Cost of living was on the rise and um, just understanding that people are doing it tough out there and they need representatives to listen. And I think politicians need to talk less and listen more. Mm. We, we, of course, know now what happened on election night and, and the massive swing that we saw towards Labor, but that wasn't guaranteed going in. It, it wasn't even predicted in a lot of spaces. Uh, can you tell me what election night was like for you? Well, there was no such thing as a safe seat. So we went yeah. into uh, the, 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 the big hall where the counting was done, like we were watching it on the screen, um, Anthony Green was just, you know, he keeps <laughs> you on the edge, right? I'm like, yeah. oh my God, what's happening? Um, and I think as the numbers from the East sort of start coming a bit earlier because of the time difference and um, it, it, we were worried. We really were. And it wasn't until counting started here in WA mm. that we saw the numbers sort of go up for labour. And um, 
started winning seats that we did not expect, like Tangney and um, Hasluck. Yeah. Uh, and as soon as I guess Tangney was announced as winning, because Moore was in contention, and then I became in contention because I was like, "Oh my goodness, this is serious!" <laughs> um, and complete denial. I was like, "Yeah, no, this isn't going to happen. This is no, no, it's not." But I think the sheer joy of having won government that night and mm. hearing the prime minister speak, it was, it was just, it was this instant renewal within the whole space like everyone felt this side like this this sense of relief like we've got a good government (laughs) (laughs) we've got what we were like working so hard for a government that is going to care for our lowest paid workers a government that is going to care for those young parents and families out there government that is going to ensure that people are held accountable and that the work actually gets done um so yeah it was it was a sigh of relief. Mm. So you're elected with that sixth and final Senate spot in WA. What was your personal reaction when you found out that you were going to be representing the state? Oh, I just fell to the ground and I started crying. <laughs> Called mum and my mum was in absolute denial herself. She's like, until <laughs> I see the results, I'm not going to believe it. Um, and I was like, mum, I won. And she, she just bursted out crying. And I think the only thing that I was missing that night was I just wish I could see the expression on my dad's face. Like mm-hmm. that would have meant the world to me just to, for him to see how far his little girl had come. Mm. Yeah. The election campaign is a, is a whole beast of its own. And then there's election night. And then afterwards, uh, what's the intermediate period like? I know when we talked to Kate Cheney, she pretty much said they give you the keys and say, <laughs> off you go. Was, was that your experience? Yeah. No. <laughs> no, for me, I guess, um, incredible amount of support. I was mm. getting, I was receiving calls from all these ministers. The PM called me. I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, I have Alba's number. Um, it was just one of those moments where, like, this is unreal. Um but it, it was a, an incredible sort of transition period where um, a lot of information is thrown at you, but there's equal amount of support as well from colleagues. So Senator Sue Lyons really helped me establish the office, but also uh, think about ways of like ensuring that the team's nice and cohesive, where I'd, I would be situated. So I've, I've got Ken White's old office in Forestfield. Mm. Um and just sort of, yeah, understanding the ins and outs, you know, what your role pertains and like what um, what you've got to do, what your commitments look like. And then we had Senate school. That was fun. Senate school? Yes, Senate school was heaps fun. It was like a two or three day intensive of like just information overload. <laughs> but it was good to sort of meet other senators from, you know, other parties mm. and get to know them. Um, Senator Sue Lyons, as president of the Senate, invited us to dinner one night. So it was good to sort of just get to know your colleagues. Like David Pocock was probably one that I was like, oh, my God, he's a big deal. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah, he's he's super chill. I've met him and his partner and, um, yeah, Mm. yeah, he's great. So that's all happening nearly a year ago now. We're coming up to one year. What's the political journey been like for you since then? <sighs> Ten months feels like a long time ago, but um, it flies by so quickly. I, I think it's been such a privilege seeing legislation being passed. Um, I'm part of the Education and Employment Committee mm. and Environment and Communications. So both areas that I'm super passionate about. So I was very grateful to be given those committees. Um, 
but also just sort of being in the process of seeing those legislations go through from the House to the Senate and how it's all debated, what we've got to do, like definitely long nights. Like last fortnight, we were up till 4.30 in the morning <laughs> and I didn't. I made sure the houses did not forget that. I was like, man, you guys, we're doing so much for you. <laughs> um, but no, it, it's, it's so good to see when we're talking to voters out there. Like I was door knocking with Emily Hamilton um, a, few, a, a month ago and talking to locals and telling them about what we've delivered so far, they were surprised right, in terms yeah. of like, oh, wow, you guys have done this in like eight months? And it's like, yeah, well, that's our job. As the government, <laughs> we're supposed to deliver. We're supposed to do what we promised. So um, it's it's kind of sad that they have such low expectations of the government, but also, mm. you know, we haven't wasted a single day and we've been working nonstop. And I guess being part of a huge, massive, diverse caucus and being part of those conversations, seeing those ministers get up and, like, speak on their legislation what they've got it in store for us Australia is in good hands <laughs> love to hear it now this is probably a hard question but over the past 10 months you know is there a particular highlight of what you've done yeah oh, oh my goodness that is a very tough question because <laughs> I think there are just so many it's hard to mm. pick uh, exactly one um I must say uh, seeing from from it's it's inception essentially the uh, secure jobs better pay bill get passed and see how much of an impact that's made in workers' lives um, has made me feel like I've done justice to the sacrifices of my dad to a certain degree. Like mm. knowing that you know if he was still around and he was you know working as a kitchen hand that he would be protected and there would be safeguards in place to ensure that. He's being paid the minimum wage. He's he he is aware of his rights and um, you know conditions within a workplace. So that was definitely a highlight. I think another one would be when um, Senator Penny Wong, as our foreign minister, asked me to represent her at a um, conference oh, in Bali yeah. for a day, uh, and it was such a phenomenal experience but to also be talking about the rights of women and girls to education and yeah. this was in particular in the context of Afghanistan um, and so it was so good to see Australia as a key player because conversations around climate change and how we need to talk about that and, and keep that as a key concern also came up so it's great to see Australia's reputation being restored in the international stage. Mm. We won't keep you for too much longer, uh, but before we do go, I know you mentioned before you didn't love reflection questions in health, but we do love to finish with some reflection <laughs> questions. So I'm going to put you in the hot seat here. Uh, just two, two reflection questions that we love to ask everyone that comes on the show. You know, first off, over the journey, you know, is, is there something that sticks out, something that you think you might like to change along the way? About myself? About, you know, the, every, anything you've done, the, the way you've kind of, how, how you've gotten here. Yeah. Oh, um, what I would change would be perhaps managing expectations yeah. uh, of myself, of those around me, um, and just being real about, yes, you've got 24 hours in a day, but, you know, how many things can you say yes to, yeah. right? Um, and, and it's always hard to say no to 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 the incredible communities out there who 
want me out and about. Um, but yeah, that's definitely something that I would reflect on more and I'm working on it. My team keeps me in check <laughs> most of the time. Finally, a, a hypothetical that we do like to pose to everyone here on the show is w- your 15-year-old self is sitting in front of you. What advice are you giving her? I would tell her to be kind to herself, right? right? I would tell her that the world can be cruel uh, at times, but there's goodness out there. Um, that perfectionism is not always the best <laughs> way to go. Um and to just be comfortable in her skin. Like, she's beautiful for who she is. And, yeah, it's – kindness goes a long way. Mm. That about wraps it up here today on How Did I Get Here. You can find us, student underscore edge on Instagram, student edge on TikTok. Uh, search us up student edge or How Did I Get Here on YouTube and head to studentedge.org for all our articles, podcast deals, competitions, career tips, education advice, and much, much more. Senator – Fatima Payman, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute blast. (laughs) 